You're listening to the Irish Times. Firstly, that I'm I'm deeply sorry. Um, I love the game of cricket. I, I love entertaining young kids. I love kids wanting to play the great game of cricket um, that I love. Um, the two other things is any time you think about making a, a questionable decision, think about who you're affecting. You're affecting your parents and to see the way my old man's been. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Steve Smith, Pat. Yes. Um, even in that video there, he's, his dad has kind of got a consoling hand on his shoulder. I mean, I know, I know the man, the boy done wrong. I think we can, all, we can all agree that the Australian cricket captain has done a bad thing. I think the world knows what he has done. But please, when I have done the worst thing in my life, don't have my poor dad standing behind me with his hand on my shoulder while I break down in tears like one of those Japanese CEOs whose company has gone through the floor. Please, please allow me to face that alone with not my poor dad with his hand on my shoulder. I actually feel zero sympathy for Steve Smith. <laughs> um, I really do. And it's the wording of that apology that really, really annoyed me. Uh, the, one of the things that he says in that is, anytime you think about making a questionable decision, think about who you're affecting. You're affecting your parents. But his parents were only affected because he was caught. <laughs> if, if he hadn't been caught, his par- there wouldn't be this press conference. The people who were affected were the South African team that he cheated against. Well, they weren't. You know, if you want to get pedantic about it, they actually weren't. Like, the, the umpires had a look at the ball and didn't even change the ball. Like, they were that bad at cheating, they didn't even <laughs> manage to cheat properly. But I do take your point. And in fairness, this is why we have you back on the show now. Had, I, had we kept on Mary Hannigan... who filled in for you in your two weeks away. Mary, I would imagine, would take a far more benign view. But no, Pat, you are, you you know what you like here and you don't like what the Australian cricket team have done. No, Mary's a very nice person. Um, (laughs) But the Australian cricket team also, it's kind of a comeuppance that a lot of people think are quite glad to see them get um, because they have such a a high opinion of themselves. The the fact that they have... um, been caught out in this way, most people do find it slightly hilarious. I thought uh, Barney Roney in The Guardian had a perfect uh, perfect line about this. It sums up exactly what you're talking about. He said that players did not design the system in, in which they are cocooned or introduce the disorienting revenue streams that have sprung up inside the rigidities of international cricket. Little wonder they can start to look a little odd, a little detached, even a little monstrous under the unblinking light. And little wonder the sense of grief at this basic disconnect appears to have been lying around a reservoir of unease just waiting for a reason to burst. And that's it. You know, people have been watching, people who are into cricket, uh, certainly, you know, people in Australia, people in England, New Zealand, Pakistan and India, South Africa, they'll come up against the Aussies over the years and have had to listen to their outrageous <laughs> carry-on about, you know, harsh, harsh but fair cricket and the line that only they seem to know the location of and just just it's just far enough away that they're the right side of it like talk about you know schadenfreude the cricket yeah. has been waiting around for the Aussies to uh, self-destruct them this way in fairness too there's a lot of self-flagellation going on in Australia as well I saw an amazing um, 
fact during the week that the Australian cricket team is older than the country. They actually had a cricket captain before they had a prime minister. Yeah. And they it's one, of, it's one of the only sports that unites the entire country. A lot of other sports are divided into the different territories. But cricket unites the country and they have a very, very high opinion of it. So for them, this is actually their Saipan oh, at the much. moment that they're going through. Yeah, And it is hilarious. Well, it's not hilarious, but it, it, it is a, a, a reminder of the size of the sport there. That this is, that's why, because when, when you actually boil it down, the, the offence itself is, is fairly minor. Mm. Like it is, it's, it is not a huge deal. To, to flick around with the ball. You know, every team has done it to, to a greater or lesser extent over the years. But it is the it the the sort of premeditated uh, decision to, to blatantly cheat and to be crap at it yeah. and get caught at it uh, in and front of the world. And to get the, the new world. kid to do it. And to get the new kid to do it. And then in their initial press conference to not really get what a big deal it was. Mm. Like that is what has sort of pumped air into the into the row in Australia, and it was left this this. And I'm sorry, Pat, this poor guy sitting at an airport press conference, looking like a twelve year old who has just got suspended from school. Like that's then the humiliation of it is is out of kilter with the offence, but not out of kilter with the standing of the sport in the country. I guess is the best way to sum it up. True. Steve Smith wasn't as clever as David Warner, who you get the impression was the architect of this. Well, he's certainly been painted as much, yeah. And then he's he's the only one who hasn't come out and made a, 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 a tearful statement in front of the cameras. He's cleverly ducked away from it all. Well, it takes a lot for Test cricket to break through over here, I guess. But we've all had our fun with it during the week. There's plenty of Irish sport this weekend, of course. The National League finals are on in Croke Park on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Keith Duggan and Ian O'Reardon will be with us later on to talk about that. But first, we'll get into the rugby. The Champions Cup quarterfinals uh, are on this weekend. Leinster Saracens on Sunday, uh, and Toulon are playing Munster tomorrow. Um, Jerry Thornley and Gavin Comiskey in with us. Jerry, uh, to me, Toulon are going to Thoman Park, and I know it's difficult, but it still looks to me like eleven to eight is a huge price about them. They were fifteen to eight at the start of the week. Munster mm-hmm. were two to one on favourites, something like that. The odds are shrinking as the I think the bookies overplayed maybe the Thoman Park factor. Maybe, yeah. Munster have a phenomenal record at Thoman Park. Was it played 75 in Europe at home, 170. Half those maybe at Thoman Park. Um, but they're going to have to really dig deep this time, aren't they? Because they've got a lot of injuries. They've no natural seven with both Chris Clote and Tommy O'Donnell out. They're down to the very bare bones in midfield. Rory O'Scannell um, had better be okay because only him and Sam Arnold are left standing. Mm. And Conway's back in the wing not having played since January. Zebo's back having gone off with a hamstring strain two weeks ago. So they have a very patched up look about them with Jack O'Donnell fitting in at seven in the back row. But, um, and yeah, you look at Toulon and they've really hit their form lately. Um, Chris Ashton equaled the top 14 try scoring record last season with 21 tries for a season. So he's going to smash the record. Mm. Um, he's a top try scorer in this tournament. He's playing full back and he's running those trailers from full back. And Matthew Bastro and Man Nonu in midfield is a bit, bit saucy. Mm. and Bastro is playing the rugby of his life and he made some offloads last week in that 49-0 win over Claremont that I don't think anybody in the world could have stopped and uh, the only thing I would say is that Claremont were there in body but not in spirit they've given up the ghost in the top 14 they've got the curse of the Bouclier you win the championship and you just you just don't figure the next season it's happened to Racine it's happened to the last few winners of it and um, in some respects maybe Toulon winning 49-0 is not a bad thing. 
they're going to think they're God's gift and they're going to travel over fairly confident and they're going to be favourite it's certainly, it's certainly and the, it's going to be it's going to be not it's not going to be the first cousin of a comparison yeah. on, on, on at Tommen Park it's, it's certainly the way different. Munster like their their opposition yes. coming over yes. full of With the swagger. full of delight full yeah. of sure this is just another game we're just mm. going to the take only, care of another bit of business over here the other the only thing I'd say though Gav is that I think Toulon lost their first ever game against um, Irish opposition in Toman Park back in 2010-11 since when they've won 8 out of 8 and they will not be fearful mm. uh, you'd fancy Munster against any other French team more so than Toulon I mean it's tough to think that the Irish provinces are playing the two teams that won the last five editions of this tournament <laughs> yeah. you know um, so <laughs> and, we, and when the draw came out uh, before you know before the Six Nations or, uh, you know people kind of went eh. yeah but Keith Earls so is a huge loss Chris exactly. Farrell's a huge loss and the two open sides that's what I was going to ask you Gav like how you know we, we talk about Munster over the years we talk about them you know going to the well all this sort of stuff how do they overcome this level of an injury crisis? Um, well, if Rory Scanlon and Sam Ireland aren't on the pitch, and if that Zebo injury is real, mm. the, I don't think they can win the game. Mm. Um, but of course, all of that's something to be put aside because if the game is played around midfield, <laughs> Toulon are winning the game again anyway. Um, Darcy wrote this week, and he really emphasised about this going to the well thing that Paulie O'Connell used to always talk about, and about how Peter O'Mahony, above everyone, uh, has to get to the emotional pitch during the week and all that. Like, that's what this is about now. And he, he was like, I played with, um, I haven't played with CJ Stander, but I played with Peter O'Mahony and I know what he'll do during the week. Mm. Um, and they are, himself and Murray and Stander are coming back mm-hmm. as Grand Slammers after mm-hmm. a week in Dubai and all that stuff. But it's still, if that monster pack, which um, is not a pack to be feared, um, does not do... They, what they're supposed to do when the red jersey goes on in Limerick um, like Toulon or Toulon look a better team on paper again this stuff doesn't really matter I actually like Jack O'Donoghue coming into the team uh, he's gotten mm-hmm. bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and he is the next guy uh, to carry this team into the ne- he is mm-hmm. the next generation of mm-hmm. player Schmidt's had him around mm. the squad. He's kind of the, he was the next back rower in, I think. Wonderfully athletic player, isn't he? Big lad. Yeah. Like, he's big and strong. So th- th- that Munster back row is CJ O'Donoghue, O'Mahony, with probably Copeland coming in before he goes to Connacht. Um, was Graveler on the bench as well. It's like, um, so that's... Uh, they're all just going to have to perform. Um, it, then after saying all of that, doesn't it really come down to Ian Keatley? A lot of it does, for sure. Um... You'd imagine Conor Murray's box kicking would be a huge facet of the game. The one thing you know about it, an after Saturday afternoon crowd, even an early kickoff, is that the crowd will be there in force mm. half an hour before kickoff. They'll be there for the warm up. Um, they won't be sitting on their hands waiting to be entertained. They will be part that of the Army story. Red Army's back, yeah? yeah. They came back. Yeah. You saw yeah. Yeah. They'll see it as their, their part of this. Absolutely. Yeah. You've got so many other emotional factors the patchwork nature of the side. Zebo probably playing his last European Cup game at Toman Park, certainly for the next few years and maybe forevermore. Um, you'd imagine he'd be inspired. And that's the thing about Munster. On days like this, they all produce their best. There's no weak links in the chain. It's why the team adds up to more than the sum of the individual parts. And um, Keatley, you know, he's... He's only suffered two home defeats in his entire career with Munster. He's actually got quite a body of experience behind him. And he's playing at a new level of rugby. He's much more composed than he ever was before. If he missed a kick in the past, 
you always were fearful that he this shrunk. He tr- but he doesn't anymore. Mm. He's, he's learned. older and he's a father yeah. and all that. But yeah. he wasn't supposed to be the out half. It was supposed to be Tyler Blainhall. Yeah. They built this kid up and he's had a neck injury. He's not a kid anymore, obviously. Mm. He's had a mm. neck injury problem. He's gone for the season with another neck surgery. Aren't they glad right? Keatley stayed now? Yeah, they, they made Keatley stay because they realised that mm. this... JJ Hanron's come home and has not worked out. Not yet. He's nope. probably on the bench. Mm. Yeah, okay, maybe he will get it together, but... Mm. He didn't do it when he went to Northampton and he hasn't done it when he's come home. And he re- talent-wise, I don't think there's any question about JJ Hanron, mm-hmm. but uh, it hasn't been done. So Ian Keatley is the great survivor. And he is. you see it with guys when they get to that age, 30, 31, and they go, okay, look, I know what I'm doing here. I know how to play this game. Um, and they stop getting freaked out. Mm-hmm. And, and that, he's a great example of just a good pro. I think they'll have to be just incredibly physical in the first 20 minutes. Like, And they will be. They'll put their bodies on the line like... There is no tomorrow. That this is the last game they'll ever play, and you know Toulon will feel the full force of that. But ultimately, they know full well they're going to have to outsmart them. They're mm-hmm. going to have to go around them in some ways. They're going to have to go above them, around them. They won't be able to go through them. Certainly not in midfield, and probably not on the fringes. They just, although you know, I think they'll go to the corner, get their mall going. It's a very hard thing to defend when it's conducted well. Um, Bellu's a kid as well. They're at half. Yes, exactly. he's going to start ahead of Trunduk. Yes, um, Trunduk's playing like, played like a dragon. I say you're looking forward to going down and watching Bastero playing in Toma. Ah, yeah. It's always great to see these these great yeah. inform huge yes. figures. And yes. Takatoa comes off the bench probably. Does yeah, Manonu World Cup winner Ashton playing to the soul. Three of the best centers in the world. And it's the biggest anyway. So yeah. Um, but yeah, you know they've a young kid at, at that half. He could blow it, couldn't he? Yeah, possibly, potentially. I, I, you have to give Munster a chance, even do, though yeah. on paper they've no right to and have Jerry, a chance. The, you touched on a point there. The smartness thing is, is is interesting. When we were talking about Munster before the the Six Nations, they were playing. They played well. They mm-hmm. obviously played very well mm-hmm. through the through the group stages. Discipline was a problem, though. Mm-hmm. Discipline mm. that can't that can't. Be a thing on uh, on the weekend. No, the smartness, you, uh, as you say, I, you know, physicality has to be a big thing. Smartness has to be has to be there too. Johan van the coach gets examined today, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Or, or tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. I think it's helpful that Nigel Owens is the referee, isn't he? Nigel Owens the referee for this one. Pretty sure he is, and they're familiar with Owens and they know how to play him. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. they're more familiar with Owens than Toulon are. So I don't, I think, I don't think that should be an issue, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, um, you know, they'll. They'll know when to um, come up with spot plays and go wide. They know when to offload. They'll they'll judge the right moments of the game. Conor Murray is the best scrum half all around in the world right now. He'll know when to judge the right moments, when, when to increase the tempo, when to slow it down, when to kick, when to put pressure on their back three. Um, Ashton will be a bit of a pantomime villain. You know, a few r- high balls raining down at him. There are so many myriad of factors that mm. come into play on a feverish Toman Park Day in the European Cup. It's just, it's like nowhere else in the world. It really is, man. I've, I've just, yeah. There's something about that place just before kickoff. And it's to their off. credit that they've got it back to that. Yes. Because yeah. that's definitely what it was and then it wasn't for a while. But no, but I think, it, but it's know, inc- sadly the passing of Anthony yeah, Foley had a yeah, lot to yeah. do with that. It helped them rediscover who they were about themselves. But know? that could have been a short-term thing, Jerry. No. That could have been, that could have been a could season's been. thing that fizzled out once the season was over. But it, but in fairness, it is that again down there. Mm-hmm. And that, that's going to be a test of it this weekend. Yeah, huge, huge. Yeah. It's the ultimate test. They're going to have to produce the performance of the season yeah. so far. Definitely, unquestionably. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do. I wouldn't... I wouldn't be weighing in back in Munster at 11 to 8 on favourites, mm. but I, the, the golden rule of the, the Heineken Cup stroke, European Cup, you'd never back against Munster at Thumb Park. Gav, we'll move to Leinster against Saracens. We should make the point, don't they, that, that Munster are destined for an away semi final, aren't they? Regardless. That's true, yes. Claremont yeah. or Ras, yeah. whoever yeah. wins that one, they're away to them. Yeah. 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 
Gav, uh, what's what sort of shaper lens are in? Um, you know, as as we always call them, you know, bulk providers to the Irish squad over the course of the Six Nations. How how have they found themselves now? Um, the judging by Ospreys did a good number on them last weekend, which mm. is a really good thing to happen. The yes. seven Grand Slammers yes. who didn't start uh, really looked, even to our eyes, you could see that they were over trying, and it was it was quite visible, like Porter and Jordy Murphy and all that. Looks like Jordy Murphy's at eight. Mm-hmm. Um, Umfar's going to play. Um, the uh, so that changes everything. Um, Again, I was talking to Jamie Heaslip through the for a Saturday piece, and he was talking, going through the quarterfinals, Leinster, the evolution of Leinster through the, the Prism quarterfinals, and he um, he basically finished it with Billy Bonapola uh, is too big a loss for Saracens, and as England suffered the same huge loss. But Leinster, the Eastern Asiba at twelve is quite significant because there was no one left then because no Reed and Henshaw are gone, and um, that's huge. Um, Leo keeps going back to Fergus McFadden that mm. man just won't go away he's got a he's got a Six Nations medal now he's back in this team overall the kind of the younger next generation of players it's uh, quite an experienced backline isn't it Sexton yeah. Nasiba McFadden Rob Carney yeah. yeah Jack Conan's gone injured mm. um, so Fardy, the guy who they signed as a lock and promised that he's not a back rower <laughs> although he's played in the World Cup final for the Wallabies as a back rower Look, he's a back rower and he's playing this weekend in the back row because they're so decimated in the back row. Well, and they need uh, De- they need Dev and James Ryan on the pitch. So it's actually shows you the value in signing this fella again. Yeah, he's huge. Well, he's the guy that they made a risk on because of this three into two doesn't go. Mm. Like, if, would he be if Van der Fleer hadn't got injured? If Conan was fit, would Vardy be playing? Yeah. Yes, I think they did have him there Of put Toner on the bench. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, Above all else, they hardly ever concede a try off a mall when he's in the defensive mall. He organises the defensive mall. He's brilliant at it, and he just does so much else around the pitch for them as well. He's he's a proper player. He's, he's an really operator. I go. Yeah. I bring you back to the World Cup final in 2015. Uh, Pocock, Hooper, McCaw were all going to war in that first 20 minutes, 30 minutes. It was all the best open sides in the world, and there's Fardy at the breakdown, cleaning the All Blacks out. He's yeah, he's been enormous for them. He's he really is. He's approaching the Heinz Brad Torn impact. You know, you have to win this game. If you don't win this game, he, he that that falls down. But mm. it's quite extraordinary how you know when the Six Nations comes along, we forget about the pool stages. Absolutely, Leinster won six out of six by doing the double over the Premiership leaders Exeter, the runaway leaders of the conference in Glasgow, yeah. and the runaway leaders of the top fourteen Montpellier. They, they, they beat the three form sides yeah, in they, France, England, and Scotland. They murdered the group of death. Yes, they murdered. Yeah. Well, they have to get their act together then with one week. I know. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. I know. To beat the two-time European champions. No, I know. It's, it's, it's a tough reward to get the back-to-back champions then in the quarterfinals, having done that. And there is this curse of the the, the teams that go through yeah. unbeaten. I think only Saracens once have done it. Or and Mark, Mc, like Mark McCall and Richard Wiggers written all these other showering praise on these great Grand Slam guys this yeah. week. I thought what was really interesting was when Itoje ran through for his quality try there against Harlequins last weekend, he pretended to fall asleep fall in the try yeah. area. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I He's rest. like, look, look at me. Like, yeah, <laughs> this guy, uh, I think, was it James Ryan hit him right off the bat and twicking him off mm. the kickoff? Um, you can be sure Itoje is going to go find him. It, he, he hunts Sexton in every time he plays him. He leaves his shoulder in on him. Watch that. Track Atoje and Sexton and you will see a collision off the ball in the first 10 minutes. A year ago, Leinster got wasps at home in the quarterfinals and ran out a big <clears> lead early on. Then over December in the back-to-back games, they had Exeter with the whiff of cordite in their nostrils looking for revenge for what happened to them at Sandy Park a week earlier. 
And I'm afraid, probably, most likely, warning Leinster fans are going. 49,000 tickets sold, which is great, and the capacity is 51.7, and they need a... a they need the, the crowd to get into the game somewhat like Tolman Park too, although it's not a Leinster crowd's nature. They won't be there for the warm-up. They'll still be in the bars. They'll come out and they'll be expecting Leinster to make an entry. And Sunday's a wee bit different as well. Yeah, Sunday's a much bit different, even though it's Easter Bank Holiday yeah, weekend. Yeah. But the main thing for me is that Leinster won't have that freedom gap that they had in the first 20 minutes against Wasps last year. Saracens will be in their faces from the word go Lens are going to have to work harder for the scores work their way into the game more it's going to be much more of an arm wrestle like the extra game but they showed against Exeter when it looked like they were seriously in peril that they, they could stay patient and come with it now admittedly they're missing a few big game hunters you know, you'd love Sean O'Brien to be starting I would, people like yeah, that I was just going to say Robbie especially Hens- Robbie yeah. Henshaw to be starting and you know well especially as Gav says with, with, with it told you looking for, for Sexton at every turn you know that is that's a youngish back row there that, that are around to sort of getting his way to protect him that sort of stuff you know, you'd mm. love O'Brien to be around. You would, but Dan Levy's playing phenomenal rugby. So is Reese Ruddock, who's going to come off yes. the bench. Yeah. He's been unbelievable. Yeah, so he was for the he last got year. Yeah. Um, got a front incidentally, just going back to the Wasps game last year, if Ollie LaRue's try hadn't have been, if Sexton hadn't have spotted that drop mm. when he was going over the line, remember, yeah. and made them go up to the TMO, yeah. Wasps could easily have won that game. Absolutely. Like, in the balance. Lens are the best best front row in the competition the best front row in and Europe and the best sub and the row. best sub front row exactly <laughs> just about to say that it, you know that's a big factor as well um, they've got Johnny Sexton the best out half in Europe at 10 um, he's, and, and you know he's, he's injury free you know what I mean whether Farrell pitches up or not he's injury free and he's playing well I I actually think Saracens are the most dangerous foes you could get from England for this, this quarterfinal weekend but I'd be a little bit more confident about Leinster going through than I would be about Munster. Let's break it down. Saracens are the best team in Europe. They're the dominant force of this era. They haven't looked at this season, okay. though, Gab. I know they haven't looked at this season, but they're going to show up on mm. Sunday, aren't they? Yeah. Um, like, okay. No Billy Vunapolo, though, as you said. Yeah, Billy Vunapolo you know, is significant. Their but whole game and England's game is predicated on him. But the team that's, that t- that really just picked Munster apart in the semi-final last year, I think we're going to see that performance. So Leinster need to be the team that went through 40 phases to put Exeter away mm. in December um, mm. it's about getting to the pitch um, and we it's happened before these lads come in from the Six Nations either in disappointment or riding on a wave and they get it done there's just so many it's just so difficult like Lancaster and, and Cullen will have their game plans in place but it, it could so easily just not work mm. you know what oh I mean oh god yeah absolutely it of course could, it will it's so, such a fine margin <laughs> players are always saying this stuff but it really really is it it needs Sexton to get to the beat of the game Which instantly. He will do. He will do. He will he do. Played a, he's played a lot of rugby. Mm. You know, I, I am the... He likes it when he plays rugby, though. He <laughs> likes playing a lot of rugby. You know what <laughs> no. I mean? I think he'd be match fine. I think... I, I do a, think One of the it. teams... There's a couple of... Everyone's patched up now. But yeah. just one of these teams is, is patched up to a point where it's going to be exposed. You reckon, Gavin, I know from talking to you, you don't think that both Munster and Leinster will go through it? Um... Yeah, you think okay. It's, you think okay. It's, it's on Monday, hard. I thought the rugby season was going to be over on Sunday night. I, <laughs> I was convinced. I was like, "That's that." We'll, wishful thinking because the public would go missing if it was just poor Pro Fourteen. We've seen yeah. that time and again. Um, then, as the week goes on, you start hearing about guys coming back, and then you start realizing what the teams are and what they've done at this exact period in the past. Um, yeah, the more, there's more of a chance of Saracens beating Leinster than there is of just. Just because of the monster factor, I just don't. There's enough of them not to be so? flat. Yeah, it's it's Jerry. You've been to all these Toman Park games. You know, yeah, it's just it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. When is when have you seen a, a monster team collapse in a quarter final in Limerick? I'm trying to remember. The, closest, the only time they've lost, they played nine quarter finals at home. They've lost one. The that was against game. Ulster. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, yeah, that uh, was a brilliant performance by Ulster. Yeah, Gilroy ruined Pienaar kicking penalties from his own half. It was an. I remember, we have seen Leinster being very flat in this stadium on uh, in, yes. at this stage over the years. Yes. Now again, no, I don't. I think they'll poke it through, but skin of the teeth stuff. The, 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 history shows us that remarkably, exactly three out of every four quarterfinals are won by the home side. It's always three out of four, nearly always. And it averages out at exactly 77%. So if you look at those four quarterfinals, I really fancy Scarlett's to beat La Rochelle, which I think is going to be a fascinating, mm. entertaining game, two throw about sides. La Rochelle, halfway through the pool stage, has topped the pool and were runaway leaders of the top 14. Mm. Last week was their third win in their last 11 matches. The yeah. form's fallen off a cliff. Wow. But... You know, they'll give Scarlett a good rattle and that'll be a fiercely entertaining game. Like Leinster, will watch that. Yeah, Leinster will watch that very closely and will be watch, hoping Scarlett's win, probably most fans will, because that means Leinster get a home semi-final in the Aviva. Against whereas, the Scarlet's. Against the Scarlet's. Whereas oh, like, if La Rochelle win, um, they would go to Bordeaux. Interestingly, um, Munster could end up playing, is it... Uh, Racing in Bordeaux as well. Or we could have a double header in Bordeaux. We have a great weekend of rugby, don't we? Yeah, like we, we were just going on rugby. about it before the Grand Slam. But what about Connacht? Are we going to give them a mention? Nah. Nah. Short huge run. game, huge Short game run. in their season. Gloucester at home. Bundy, Massive game. Bundy's back. Bundy's back. Kieran mm. Marmion's back. Alton Delan's back. That'll be a marvellous occasion. Great atmosphere too. Um, Connacht's season hinges on it. Huge game. If you, if a member, always a friend of mine. Once next said season to, hinges on it for them. Yes, you know what next, I mean? yeah, at this season and next season. Yeah, yeah you're right. Two seasons injured in this game. It's that important. If, a good friend of mine always said to me when I couldn't call a game, said, if you had to put your life in it, how would you call it? Mm. So if you had to put your life in all three Irish games this weekend, how would you call it? Uh, oh, God. Um, it's probably taking it a bit serious. It's a bit no, serious. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know. But, I'm only okay, I really don't put my life on rugby. Okay, your mortgage then. I'm not putting my life before the mortgage. I'm not putting my... Yeah, I'll put my mortgage on. I, know, I wouldn't put, my, put it on Connacht because I just haven't been watching their form. Their uh, form has been unbelievably inconsistent. They've mm. played some brilliant rugby and some... Dog awful rugby. Yeah, so I'm not going near that. Um, but <laughs> Leinster and Munster just to get through because we're in Dublin and Limerick, you know. So if you yeah. had to put your life on it, I would right? go. The, I would go Leinster and Munster to win. Yeah, and Connacht. Yeah, would you? Excellent. Well, wait, it, it better happen because if if they all go out, then the no rugby season is us. over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Then we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> Lads, thanks a million. Thanks Cheers. for coming in. In your Easter weekend edition of the Irish Times, the magazine is an Irish food special. Dylan McGrath charts his journey from angry chef to entrepreneur. Carmel Summers whips up some chocolate dishes. And Catherine Cleary asks, is Ireland's food industry more lab to larder than farm to fork? In Weekend Review, Fintan O'Toole honours Martin Luther King's 50th anniversary, while Suzanne Lynch reports from Memphis. After weeks of evidence the Belfast rape trial is over, we reflect on the case and the not-guilty verdicts handed down. In sport, Jerry Thorny weighs up Munster, Leinster and Connacht's chances this weekend. Plus, Maliki Clerken asks if Galway can halt Dublin. And from the Stones to Electric Picnic, our Culture Mag Tickets brings you the ultimate spring-summer outdoor gig guide. The Irish Times Weekend Edition. Your Easter's in good hands. So what else are we going to be watching this weekend, Matt? The National Hurling League semi-finals around this weekend. Which you're more excited about than I am. I'm very excited about them. <laughs> I, I think we've got uh, two cracking games ahead of us and you think there's going to be more shadow boxing. I think so. Well, I mean, I think, yes, the, these teams are all... I, I guess at this point, they all probably do want to win the league. Like, if you're here, you may as well do it. But uh, I still think that maybe outside of Wexford, the rest of them are going to have shadow teams out. Or at least teams that are going to bear li- reasonably little relation to their championship teams, no? See, I don't know if that's completely true. It's possibly true in Limerick's case. Sorry, Limerick and playing Tipperary on Saturday evening. Yes. Live on TG Carra, I should say. And we'll say Limerick 
have, won't have the Napierschig lads back yet this weekend. And Tipperary admittedly have experimented so much during the league that they've completely expanded their squad in a way that I'd say Michael Ryan is thrilled with to the point where they have strengthened every line of the pitch and therefore it is hard to predict their team. But the other side of it is this could be their last game before mm. the championship starts and the Munster Hurling Championship is going to be incredibly cutthroat. Mm. Like lose one game in that and you're in deep trouble of not making one of the qualification slots especially because Limerick have emerged so strong this year. And so I think that will be a fine game. And I think that Wexford Kilkenny, which is on Sunday at two o'clock, not live on TG Carr, it's deferred in TG Carr, but you can watch it live on their YouTube channel, mm. uh, which I will be doing ahead of Roscommon Cavan, I think. But Kilkenny and Wexford are going to wire into each other from the start. And you could also argue that while Wexford have a lot of their championship team already in place, I think Kilkenny do as well. You, they're missing the two lads that are away, Paul Murphy and um, Colin Fennelly. Colin Fennelly. But Who they're actually going to miss for, for a little first, bit into, yeah. into, the, into the championship. And so then yeah. you're worried about people like Richie Hogan and Kevin Kelly uh, getting back fit. And yeah. So maybe Kilkenny have a large chunk of their team out as well. I, I, and there's no way Brian Cody is one go, going to want to have another loss to Wexford at the weekend. Yeah, especially in Nolan Park where they lost to them last year as well as Wexford Park. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, but the Limerick game, for example, I'm particularly... I'm, I love it when Limerick come with a surge, which they do, because their fans kind of surge behind them. Yeah. And they're an incredibly exciting county to have flying and hurling. So I'm all about... And you've got to hand it to them, actually, in this, this league campaign. Like, they've hockeyed the other teams. Yeah. You know, like, it's not like their usual kind of struggle through Division 1B, where they lose the, the big game to their big promotion rival and kind of get over the other teams. They've hockeyed Dublin and Leash and Antrim and really flat track bullied them mm. and then they've be- beaten Galway and Clare and done it all without the Napierseg lads like it's great to see him springing yeah and done it all by conceding one goal mm. which is kind of incredible this whole year um, because they've set up an impressive sort of defensive system but it's not a defensive system in the they're not playing a sweeper they just have a lot of hard work and funneling back and then they've got, I think the kind of the X factor in it is Keen Lynch who plays around midfield and he has a kind of a subtlety of touch that allows him to move the play through mm-hmm. the field. And they have a bit more imagination in their build-up than you often associate with Limerick teams, partly because they have more imagination because they have so many talented young players coming through. Yeah, they've dug this Aaron Galan out of somewhere. Like he, he's a lovely little player. He's a terrific player. And yeah. Garrod Hegarty as well. Uh, th- these guys that are going to be there for years, but that are very young and are learning on the job and learning very impressively. Now, whether they'll have enough against Tipperary, it's hard to say. They conceded, what was it, 33 points against Clare? Mm. And there's a possibility. Well, that, that game did last two days. It did indeed, yeah. yeah. Um, so you'd wonder, like, but the possibility of them keeping a tip forward line that's been fairly taken along nicely, um, goalless, would be impressive. But if they did keep them goalless, you'd back them to go through then. Yeah, I, look, I'll watch them as well. I don't know. I'll just watch them with a bit of a jaundiced eye. I mean, like, Limerick and Tip meet in the first round of Munster in about, what's it, five, six weeks from now, 20th of May. Um, I just don't know how many players from, from Saturday night are, are going to be starting that day. I suspect the managers don't know either. Yeah, that's a fair point too. Yeah. Which is part of what makes it interesting. And you're right that, like, we'd say Wexford... Definitely no more of their team. Um, Conor McDonald's an injury doubt. But I think that the Wexford game is going to be fascinating because Wexford remind me of uh, Jim McGuinness's Donegal in their second year 
where they laid a lot of the foundation mm. and then their second year they suddenly found this ability to burst from deep and Wexford actually do almost that with some of their off-the-shoulder kind of Absolutely, layoffs yeah. and all that and they have attacking wing-backs. And what's fascinating now is that Brian Cody has finally gotten to the point where he acknowledges sweepers and has actually changed Kilkenny's game plan a little bit yeah. when they come up against them. Yeah. So we actually I saw, I saw him taking a few battle. short, short puckets. Short Kilkenny puckets. taking short puckets. Yeah, and working the ball through the midfield. Like yeah. they are starting to look more modern because they were actually weirdly always susceptible to teams that had a yeah. sweeper. Um, but either way, what's going to happen there is that you're going to have a lot of bodies in the middle third and two teams absolutely wiring into each other. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. Yeah, uh, well, th- that will be interesting and I will watch them. I'm, I'm only taking the mickey out of you. Um, but of course, the big games this weekend are in the football. He laughs. Go on. <laughs> uh, the div- four division uh, finals are taking place over the weekend in Croke Park. Ian O'Reardon and Keith Duggan uh, have uh, come to talk to us about it. Uh, we'll start with Division 1, Keith. The Dublin-Galway game seems to have a bit of extra spice added into it now after their meeting a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, They seem to manage to resurrect um, a rivalry over the space of those 70 minutes that had kind of been dormant since 1983. Mm. So um, it was it was it was fascinating to see just how just how quickly they sort of got wired into one another. I mean, I think Dublin probably came to Salt Hill well aware um, that Galway had surprised pretty much every county they'd met throughout the league, um, and I think they were they were they were possibly a bit taken aback by just how. Just how abrasive in uh, in attitude Galway are now. You know they're not they're not they're not blinking um, for anybody, and they're they're you know they're very well organised. They're a physical side. They move the ball well. They attack with confidence, and I think they possibly just just caught Dublin a little bit uh, by surprise that that day. They were five points down at half time um, against a, a, a very strong breeze, but. Really, they could have also shipped two goals in that first half, so they they really had to had to scrap to come out for it with a draw. Ian, uh, the league is always good for an old surprise package here or there. I, I've got to say, looking at it at the start of the year, um, I've seen Galway a few times over the last few years, and they have. I've, I saw them moving towards a, a more defensive style, especially you know after Tipperary gave them a hiding in the All Ireland quarter final a couple of years ago. I'm not sure I saw this from them. I'm not sure I saw them sustaining this for the whole of the league and, and seeing it all the way to a league final. No, you're definitely right there for a couple of reasons. I mean, it was the first time back in Division 1, I think, in eight years. And uh, that always takes a bit of adjustment. And there's, there's been a kind of a consistent theme here where teams go up and they come down very mm. quickly, especially in Division 1. Um, whereas with Galway, they, they laid down a marker early on and, and they kept going. Um, the big thing for me has been their defensive record. One goal, seven games, um, 80 points as well. I mean, that's a that's a very mean record. And people talk about the influence of Paddy Talley, the former Tyrone trainer who's come in this year. And you have to say, I mean, he, he's made a, he's certainly made an impact on that defence. Not so much not so much in terms of players or personality, but just the way they play, just the way that they've 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 defended. Um, the one goal they, they conceded was against um against Mon back in round five. But I think Dublin Dublin will come with a completely different, a completely different prospect in Crow Park on Sunday. Um, as Keith said, there they were a little bit, they were a little bit taken aback in in, in Pierce uh, Pierce Stadium there over the Paddy's weekend. But uh, I think 
And for what it's worth, I, I get the pleasure of attending these pre-league pre, um, final press conferences. And they We're sorry, out, Ian. <laughs> somebody has to do it. They rolled out John Small during the week. And of all the, of all the players, I mean, I felt sorry for him. You know, he's, he's a master of saying nothing. But the one thing you, you definitely sense was what they, they didn't. They didn't particularly uh, enjoy that, that, that draw to, mm. to, to go away that day. And I definitely think Dublin will come out a completely different prospect on Sunday. Keith, you've seen a fair bit of Galway, I guess. Is it is it more than you know, thirteen men behind the ball? Is it attitude? What what is it? What what have they got? Yeah, I think it's a bit reductive just to just to sort of um, claim that Galway are now you know just a sort of standard defensive team, lump guys behind the ball. What they're I mean, they, they do retreat in defence, but I think that's like a lot of a lot of teams do that now. Um, what 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 they're at is, I mean, against Dublin, they were really really excellent at just at, at, at tracking Dublin strike runners all the time. You know, um, like J- James McCarthy got 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 very little room. Um, they, they, they're, they're just they're just very disciplined. They're very patient. In a way, they they did what. Tyrone wanted to do last summer against Dublin and did it very well. The question is whether they'll be able to do it um, in Crow Park um, for for the seventy minutes. I mean, it's it's going to be a huge a huge test for them. But in addition, once they get possession, it, it really is impressive uh, the intent and pace with which they with which they attack. They're just getting from A to B very very quickly and very very slickly, and then they have the finishers up front. So. Um, it's not. I mean, it's a fairly it's a fairly simple formula, but uh, but it works, and they're they're big as well. But I think the other thing is, um, it's just their attitude. It, they, they've they've just decided to to sort of, uh, I guess, stand up for themselves in a way that maybe they they hadn't been doing a few seasons ago. There's a lot to be said, you know, for a team that that just decides that, and and it kind of filters through in different ways, like you know. See, like even somebody like Damian Comer, like he he does more than his share of tracking back. You, you know, you see him picking up ball, you see him tracking runners way back in in the half back line, sometimes in the full back line. I know you you talked to him this week, didn't you? He's uh, he's still he's still a vital force for them. Yeah, more 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 vital than ever. I mean, he's he's, he's an interesting character. He's he's um he's a player who may have slipped through through the, through the ranks there in Galway. Um, you know, as as he tells it himself, he, he didn't play minor and was sort of uh, he was he was he was caught late by Alan Flynn, the the uh, under twenty one manager in twenty thirteen, and he thinks himself that that just just getting called into that squad and indeed the team um, sort of transformed him in terms of his of his of his self belief. Like for instance, you know, Jarlets were playing in the Hogan Cup final of twenty eleven when he was a Leaving Cert student and, and and he wasn't even on the field. You know, That's amazing, um, isn't it? so. He's 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 a he's a he's a sort of a he's a unique player in a way. It's it's very difficult to compare him to any other uh, Gaelic footballer because he's got this extraordinarily powerful uh, physique. Um, but he's not, you know, he's he's way more than a batter ram. He can win ball. He can he can he's good vision. He can lay it off. He can take a score. And as you say, he's uh, he's just a tremendous worker. He just pops up everywhere. Um, they can play him anywhere. But um, I think in the front line is where he's. Uh, where he's the biggest threat. Ian, Dublin, um, Dublin going to love all this. You know, everybody's talking about Galway, the coming team. I, I, get, I get a sense, I've just seen this Dublin team too many times kind of sharpen their knives for teams that have pissed them off along the way and, and hand out a lesson. 
True. You know, and listening to Keith talk about Damon Comer there, yeah, I mean, he's going to be a marked man on Sunday for sure. At the same time, dare I say, there's a little bit of pressure on Dublin here for the first time. Like, having lost to Monaghan last weekend, and I know they didn't did again, it was almost like, it was almost like watching the, uh, you know, the heats of, a, of an Olympic 1500 metres. They were all easing up, coming yeah. to the line. They all know yeah, what's yeah. done. So they all kind of backed off and said, right, we're in and let's, let's, let's save it all for the, for the, for the, for the final. Um, but I still think, you know, and, you know, in the backdrop, you've got the whole Dermot Connolly situation, like what's going on there? Mm. Is, he, is, he, is he in, is he out? And then, you know, the injury list is growing. Bernard Brogan's gone. You know, Keno Sullivan's gone. And it's, it, doesn't take, it doesn't take much for that suddenly, that, that massive depth of, of, of quality in the bench to start, you know, to start being diluted a bit. But, but no, you're right. I mean, the, the knives are definitely sharpened. There is, but I just think there's a little bit of pressure on Dublin. And, and if they find themselves in a, in a tight match coming, coming into the second half, then, then we'll certainly see just how good this Dublin team is. Because, I mean, you look, you look at the league this year, like they, haven't really been, they haven't really been tested. I mean, Tyrone weren't great. Donegal only came at them in the second half. Okay, the Mayo game was good. Kerry were very poor. So, so this is definitely, I think, without a doubt, Dublin's biggest test of the year. But no, no better team to step up to that, I suppose. We'll move on to Division 2. And I, I have done my homework in this game, uh, the Roscommon-Cavan game. I've just, I was just kind of taken with the fact that these two teams um, have had such a, such a relationship together over the last 10, 11 years. Um, like, they have uh, fallen through the leagues together. They've come back up together. They've been relegated since, uh, I think, 2002, I, I believe. They have been uh, promoted three times together and relegated three times together. They've met 13 times in the last 11 years. Um, even though, like, you know, like Mayo and Dublin meet regularly, uh, all the teams in Division 4 meet each other regularly. These two have met each other in Division 1, 2 and 3 uh, and keep running into each other. And even their, their like, respective league records are nearly identical for the last 11 years. They've both won, uh, or they've both lost 35 games apiece in the league in the, in the last 11 years. It's mad. They're, they're mad, mad stats. Yeah. Um, and yet, for for teams that that run into each other so often, Ian, they're Roscommon are completely dominant. Like Cavan have won one game in the, in the last thirteen against them. It's it it seems like a weird rivalry that they keep running into each other, and one team is so much. So has so much of the dominant hand in it. Yeah, well, amazing stat. I'm not quite sure where you where you found the time to pull that one out, but it's certainly it's certainly nothing inter- better to be. <laughs> it's it's an interesting one because you're right. You wouldn't associate. Cavan uh, uh, Roscommon as being as anything you know, cl- close rivals the way you described it there, and yet they clearly have they clearly have met a lot. Um, I definitely think, and the, the classic example as well. You talk about teams go up and down. I mean, I don't think anybody expected these two teams to be promoted again so quick mm. for last year. Um, so again, their kind their kind of work is done. I don't think I don't think they really have they don't, they're not a whole lot to play for on Sunday, other than that, other than that record that as you say Roscommon have. But uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I think. You know, we were talking about Galway there um, a minute ago, and I mean, don't forget what Roscommon did to Galway last year mm. in, in in the Connacht final. So, I mean, the fair play to Roscommon. I think they're they're certainly they've got a level of consistency there as well. So, I mean, I think, yeah, I think they're definitely they've definitely come around. They've definitely bounced back in a big way from last year's. Keith Roscommon, I uh, looking at it even on paper or even even on the pitch, they look to have maybe just the better forwards. You know, you have the two marches there, the Smiths, uh, a couple of other players around the place, whereas Cavan. They always seem to be searching. I know Darren McVitie's been in great form for them. Garud McKiernan you can always rely on. But there's there's always seems to be another four or five spots around from midfield up that you can't, you don't know who to fill them with or they just, they have a huge turnover of players to fill them with. Yeah, indeed. And I mean, I think even 
for uh, the final, uh, Kevin McStay, he's holding back both Craigs and, and uh, Cal and Fintan Craig and also Ender Smith, as far as I know, in, in reserve. So, you know, they do, they do. And I, I do think the game is significant for both of them, though. Um, you know, I think it would be good for us coming to go up to Crow Park and and win and equally uh for 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 Calvin just to just to, just to sort of lift silverware and go into the uh go into the Ulster championship on the front foot but i mean it's interesting what you're saying Malachi, about um about those rivalries just there's, there's probably there's probably a lot of those sort of rivalries in the lower divisions that don't get spoken about enough um and i think the other the other aspect about Ross Common and and Calvin is that they've really used the, the league to sort of Rehabilitate and build themselves into a championship force, and I think that's becoming um, it's becoming increasingly apparent that the that the league is useful for that. I think so, yeah. And I, I think of of the two of them, I think Cavan's need is probably a wee bit greater here. Yeah. They haven't like they haven't won a trophy since the '97 uh, Ulster final. I yeah. actually I was in touch with uh, somebody in Cavan this week just to be sure. I was I wasn't entirely sure whether that stat was correct, and he said, "Well, we won the 2000 McKenna Cup." And I said, well, you know, uh, uh, when's the last non-makey-uppy trophy you won? You know, like, n- 1997 is a long time ago to go without lifting a trophy. And they're, and, and they're you know, they're a team that, like, every Ulster team has been in an Ulster final except them uh, since they were last in one. They were in one in 2001. Since then, every Ulster team, even Antrim, have been in an Ulster final since then. Yeah, know? and Keith's right, though, actually. I mean, when you think about lifting silverware in Crow Park and, and, and for Cavan, I mean, they've got a great fan base as well. Like, they are oh, one yeah. of the most massive, you know, well-supported counties. And they will bring a crowd down to Crow Park on Sunday, which is what it's all about. That's what, that's what the division is. It's all the Rossies now. Yeah, the two yeah. of them. So you're right. I mean, it's, 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 it's certainly a lot to play for there. And I, but I think from purely from a sort of a progression or development point of view, they're, they're where, they're where they want to be. But yeah, close call. I'm not sure who's... A, who you found? How how are those stats working out in terms of whose whose turn is it? Well, I mean, you can't really go against the team that keeps winning the bloody game, I guess. So un- until they start losing, um, uh, Keith, we'll move on to Division Three. Uh, I, I'm not entirely sure whether the silverware thing really has the same uh, same significance here. Is a Division Three trophy that big a deal for for Armagh or for Mana? Um, possibly not, but. But but beating each other is yes. That's what, I, 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 that's kind of what I was hinting at. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that the, that yeah. the bragging rights in, think, in I, Ulster neighbours is a is a bigger thing. Yeah, than, I don't think either Rory Gallagher or Kieran McGinley will be will be indifferent to the occasion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, no. Look, it, it, it's an interesting game, and it, it's 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 sort of good to see both those both those counties uh, on the up. Um, I think. Just they're in that happy position where this is this is a shot to nothing. Um, I know, like Rory Gallagher was making the point during the week. I mean, he's had he's had a really impressive first season there, and I think um, you know the, the way he left Donegal sort of left a it left a bad taste. He, you know, kind of felt that he wasn't really treated very well in the end. Maybe um, after that after that Galway game, so it was great to see him. Just get back into management so quickly and uh, and, and and do what he's done with his with his with his home county. But he's making the point that of the two games they lost in the league, um, they also lost men in in those matches. So I think discipline is gonna is gonna have to it's gonna have to become a bigger factor for them uh, going into the going into the championship. Um, he's got Seamus Quigley back, and that's had a, an immediate and dramatic effect on the team. So they're they're going to be ones to watch. Um, really hard to call as to as to who might win it. 
Yeah. Uh, and the Division 4 game in, uh, I know you're, you had quite a bit of contact with Torek O'Brien down in Carlo over the last year or two. Um, their, their story is, is fantastic. I mean, you don't have to love the way they play the game or whatever, but uh, to get out of Division 4, that is a long time coming. It's always been said Division 4 is one of the hardest divisions to get out of because everyone is dying to get out of there and I think it's Carlo's first time since the league has been restructured in 20, 20 or 30 years and uh, yeah and I think Turlock O'Brien deserves a lot of credit um, you know, dare I say before we became fashionable uh, we, went, we actually went for a cycle last year because he's big into his cycling he's got mm. a great guide to, to, to Leinster cycling route which I, I need to recommend and uh, his wife of course Mary Ammond of esteemed Irish sprinting family m- multiple uh, Irish champions over the years so very very good sporting background but more importantly he just he, he lives and breathes Cardiff football mm. and that's the reason why it goes to show you can talk about money or finances or strategic plans or whatever but he he's just got the county believing in themselves he's got everybody wanting to play for Carlo and in, in a sensible way like I mean there's none of this drinking bans or like he's just done it where everybody wants to wants to, wants to play for the cause and th- there's the results I mean Okay, they lost to Leishla in the last round, but again, that was kind of another example of easing up before the final. Uh, they go at each other again Saturday evening, um, and, I, and I definitely think Carlo, I was reading somewhere, I think it was, might have been one of Pat Nolan's great stats, that Carlo have never lifted a trophy in Croke Park for some bizarre reason. They go back to when they won the Leinster Championship in the 1940s, apparently it was played in a thigh. Mm. Now, there may have been some schools or that, but I mean, an actual an actual national trophy in Crow Park. So a big occasion for them, big occasion for Turlock O'Brien. But any, either way, they're back in Division 3 next year. And I think going into the Leinster Championship, I suppose the only slightly reservation I've had is this is this is, this is the only positive note for Leinster football, yeah. is Carlo's rise, where you have like Mead dropping back, look at Kildare down again, Leash struggling a little bit, well, at least they're promoted. But like, it's it's it's, it's a positive story for Carlo, but let's, Leinster... Uh, let's smell the roses, Ian. There's, there's going to be a plenty of time in the summer to be crying about the state of Leinster football. We'll, we'll smell the roses for a minute. Listen, lads, thanks a million for joining us. Thanks uh, to Ian and Keith. Thanks to Jerry and Gavin earlier for talking the rugby. Thanks to Declan, JJ and Pat for helping me out here. Um, anybody who wants to get in touch, you can get me on Twitter at Maliki Clerken or we can get the, the email address here is at a time at irishtimes.com. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you all next week. Yeah.